The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's late on Wednesday night, March 1st, 2023, as we bring you a new podcast episode. We'll be recapping the White Sox week so far during spring training again the disclaimer, it's very early in spring training, but some players have caught our attention early and are worth tracking along this month. One player getting a lot of playing time has been Jake Berger, and we'll try to guess why that's the reason for the White Sox. Plus, an idea from a premiership team in England that maybe professional American sports teams want to try, in particular the White Sox to help improve relations between the organization and fans. We'll chime on that later in the show. But first, I need to get something off my chest and here to hear my rant is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, I apologize, my friend, but you need to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. I'm not sure why I'm angry, but what is the point <laughs> if you own half of a regional sports network? And you can't broadcast or stream every spring training game that you have. And where's my baseball savant data? Where Where mm-hmm. is it? It's 2023, man. I know that you have it. I know you got track. What's man. the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal with the baseball <laughs> savant data? <laughs> I need it, dadgummit. Uh, so those are my two, my two points. Why is... Why are there such few streams for the White Sox during spring training? And uh, where's the stat cast data? Yeah, no, I, I think it's just, you know, cost cutting and I may sport, see Sports Chicago part, or at least not cost cutting because they've never really broadcast a ton of spring training games. It's just cost avoiding. And given how many other teams do the same, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Like the webcasts, the humble webcasts we used to watch, like, People would complain about the quality and like, who's Russ Langer? Why is he calling games? But, you know, having seen other teams broadcast uh, slates or lack thereof, 
I was like, don't knock the webcast, man. Like just, <laughs> it's just good. They're like, uh, you know, it, it's better than nothing. And, and sure enough, now we're seeing, it's weird. They have this like video sharing setup, like kind of like park feeds that I think a lot of teams are using for, uh, MLB.com video highlights and, um, you know, maybe B roll or like, you know, clips that, you know, NBC sports, uh, or not NBC, like NBC sports, uh, segments can use or ABC news, CBS, local affiliates can use. And it's not the same. It's not the same when you only see the highlights, like when you want to see, uh, how, you know, if somebody goes over four or, or I should say over three in spring training, usually there's no over four, but like how bad of an 0 for 4 was it? Like, how bad were the swings? Uh, you know, if somebody got hit around, like, um, what were they throwing? You know, even if it's like a case where you don't have stat cast data, just like, how did hitters look? Did hitters look, uh, you know, just were they location mistakes or was it just like pitcher had nothing? So, you know, that's kind of what I miss about not having even the webcast. So everybody who ever knocked the webcast and said the White Sox, you know, like it, it's cheap and, and, and shoddy and uh, Bush League, like take it back. <laughs> I miss those webcasts. <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. It's just, it's odd. It's like, hey, how are the White Sox doing spring training? Hard to tell. Honestly, other than what we've seen on NBC Sports Chicago or what we picked up from other teams' feeds if you have an MOB.TV account. And I do now because as a full-season ticket holder, I did not know this. This is one of the perks of being a Major League Baseball full-season ticket holder is that you get a year subscription to MOB.TV. You pretty much pay for it with your ticket plan. Uh, they they hmm. like to pitch it as a gift, but there I could I could watch the other spring training games when the White Sox are on those feeds, but they haven't been the last couple of days, and I feel like I'm missing out. And if I miss it on the stream, well, if I had at least the Statcast data to provide more insight on how guys are throwing and how hard that they're hitting and what pitches that they may be struggling with, so we could track their progression during camp don't even have that so whatever mm -hmm. you know what forget you guys <laughs> well yeah salt river fields has it and that's the only park i still I, I think in the cactus league that's the only park that has ever had it like they were the first park to get it, and i thought oh at least one park's got it they'll expand it, and they've never expanded i to, to my knowledge i think that's the only park that so has do it. the grapefruit league teams do the do, do those sites have more of the baseball savant data I thought it was kind of similar, but I, you know, there, there's so little overlap with the Cactus League or sorry, Grapefruit League teams, you know, storylines and such. That's one thing I like about spring training is like it does remind me of like the old uh, American League National League setup where like Hawk Harrelson would ever know anything about the National League. And for the most part, he didn't have to. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with like Grapefruit League. Like, hey, uh, Chris Sale is going to throw a spring training game. I had no idea what Chris Sale was up to or what he was doing. Like just, you know, could focus on uh, 14 teams and only those 14 teams and have a general sense of, uh, you know, the Padres adding yet another guy to the roster. Uh, they're, uh, 45 man, 26 man roster. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I, I appreciate those things, you know, cause it's, it's nice to have the schedule whittled down for you and rather simplified. Well, the grapefruit league's been weird. The, you had the Atlanta Boston game ends, on a pitch clock violation and the game ties. And was it the Orioles and pirates kept playing without umpires? Like they yeah. wanted to play the bottom of the ninth inning, the umpires left, but the players stayed on and kept playing the grapefruit league's been a, a more weird than the cactus league. 
which I'm a bit jealous of. (laughs) Yeah. Although, you know, I think that must be a testament to the pitch clock. It's like, you know, (laughs) we didn't play enough baseball, Mm. Uh, you know, more baseball, which I think is always, you know, a a good feeling. Like if if, uh, they leave you wanting more and they feel like the impulse to give you more, like that's kind of cool. So pitch clock, pretty fun so far, I think. I agree. Speaking of Salt River Fields, as you mentioned, that facility does have StatCast data. So we do have some StatCast data when the Chicago White Sox played there on Tuesday. And they won that game 4-1 to over the Arizona Diamondbacks. And what pulling from the notes as far as that data, Uloy Jimenez had two batted balls with an exit velocity greater than 100 miles per hour. He's been swinging really well. He's 4-8. for eight in spring training with two walks, no strikeouts. So that's a really good sign to see as he'll be joining the team on Dominican Republic for the World Baseball Classic soon. Luis Robert had a double, and that was a bomb. It traveled like 427 feet at dead center field. Seve Zavala's home run was also a bomb, traveling 410 feet with an exit velocity greater than 108 miles per hour. Jonathan Stever, he's coming back Mm -hmm. from a lat injury. One, he threw more sliders than fastballs. He threw nine sliders to six fastballs. His four-seam fastball averaged 91.5 miles per hour. So it's a bit concerning with the velocity because that's 40-grade in today's baseball for right-handed pitchers. And this is someone that we recall, uh, now it's been a few years ago when Stever joined the White Sox farm system. He kind of broke out where, hey, this is a guy that's throwing like 96 miles per hour, and it's a power fastball with a power slider. He could be a dark horse to join the White Sox rotation, and he may help start some games with Charlotte, but if this velocity doesn't increase, he's not going to be much help for the White Sox. Or Charlotte. Well, yeah, that's true, (laughs) or Charlotte. Yeah. But this is where having this type of data for baseball savant helps because it can encourage conversations, We can point out some things that we're seeing in the data that's worthwhile to follow along for the rest of the month. It keeps us paying attention to spring training. When you're not streaming Mm -hmm. games and you're not putting out baseball savant data, uh, I guess see you on opening day. That's that's just kind of how I feel. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like today, like uh, I looked at the MLB TV schedule, saw that the game wasn't available on either feed, no audio. So it's like I went to teach curling for a little bit. Just like, I may as well make some extra money uh, while it's there. But yeah, it's well, Steve, going back to him, like one thing I noticed, like going through prospect list and such is just like lat strains Hmm. seem like uh, I'm curious about the lat strain uh, as an injury. Like uh, Tyler Johnson had one wasn't quite the same. Uh, You know, Luke Schilling had like the Jake Peavy one and then he bounced back. But then he had Tommy John surgery. That just hurts my shoulder thinking about it. Yeah. And then, you know, Stever had it and he was supposed to be ready by last spring training. Or like he was supposed to be somebody who could like, you know, maybe not a fully uh, participating in spring training, but, you know, should be ready to pitch an affiliated ball by like, you know, April or May. And he didn't pitch until like the last week of the season. And now he's you know coming back and throwing 91, 92. It's just like, I, I don't think he's, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like he's a guy anymore. I mean, he wasn't a, really a guy the last year he was fully functional because like he was somebody who was interesting when he like sat 93, 94 and hit 96. And then the last year he was healthy, like he was hitting, topping out 94, but kind of like 92. And now he's like 91 and just, you know, it's, could be a case where like, it was just, uh, he peaked early and and couldn't quite put together. And the slider is like, I never thought that was that good of a pitch to be a primary thing. Like he he was more fastball curveball, 
uh, and now the slider is kind of coming along and I'm thinking that's kind of like throwing stuff against the wall to see if there's anything that can help him get back on track. But yeah, the, the latch strain is something I'm, I've noticed be more prevalent with pitchers now, like maybe not shoulder, maybe not elbow, or maybe they're find, found some mechanics that take the stress off those parts. But now the lats in the middle taking the beating, like, I don't, I don't know. So uh, just that, that's something I'm more sensitive to though, reading, you know, these prospect reports and such thinking like, uh, you know, next time a lat strain pops up, I'm going to like add uh, two weeks of the timetable from there and then see what happens. Could be a red flag. I mean, all the pitchers that you've named, at one point seemed like, Hey, these could be guys that could reach the major leagues and be, you know, helping the white Sox be contributors for the team. And they're struggling to get to the majors. And maybe this injury is far more significant than when we, what was once thought of just, Oh, this is a lat strain. They may miss a month and, but they'll be back to missing a lot more time than expected. And they are losing velocity. So it was a bit disappointing to see that type of data from Jonathan Seaver, but we'll see how the rest of the month works out for him. And maybe he could get regain some ticks of velocity on his fastball. He'll need it. Cause again, as we mentioned a few podcasts ago, the average velocity for a right-handed pitcher with a four seam fastball now is 94 miles per hour. So that's the average. That's what we consider 50 grade right now. Jonathan Stevers got about a 40 grade fastball. That's not going to cut it in the major leagues. So from an offensive standpoint, moving away from my rant about the lack of <laughs> streams and lack of data at Baseball Savant, from an offensive standpoint, Aloy Jimenez, Yoan Makata, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert Jr., they're getting a lot of the at-bats early in spring training. And that makes sense because very shortly here, they're going to be leaving the White Sox and joining the respective World Baseball Classic squads. I believe Makata and Robert... They have to travel to Taiwan for their first game as Cuba takes on the Netherlands in six days. So they play March 7th, Cuba and the Netherlands. <laughs> That's a neutral site. <laughs> Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. For the, 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 uh, the firing up the long dormant Netherlands, Cuba rivalry. <laughs> Got to get them as far away from those two countries as possible. Uh, so those four, obviously, they're getting a lot of reps because Pedro Grafal and the White Sox coaches, they're not going to see these guys until the end of the month. Or maybe they'll see them when the, they rejoin the White Sox as they make their way to Houston uh, if their respective countries do really well in the World Baseball Classic. Oscar Colas, he's getting a lot of at-bats. Makes sense. Grafal wants to see as much as possible to gauge if, Griff, if Colas is ready to join the 26-man roster on opening day and to be the primary right fielder. Then there's Jake Berger. And Jake Berger already has two home runs this spring, which is great. But he's tied for the team lead of 11 at-bats, along with Oscar Colas. And I bring this up because I'm a bit surprised that we're seeing a lot of Jake Berger early. We're seeing a lot of Jake Berger at first base. I don't think we've seen him at third base is there an angle that I'm not thinking about here, Jim, with the amount of playing time that Berger's getting early in camp? I think there are a few angles. None of them like strike me as like the obvious one. Like one could be just a case where like there's a chance he fits on a bench. There's a chance that he's uh, somebody who can be some right-handed pop, especially like say if they carry. Leori Garcia or Romy Gonzalez or both 
uh, Garcia and Gonzalez. Like you can really have a single use uh, player. Like it's like one of those single use kitchen implements. Like you can have like burger. There's just right hand of power. And if he has to stand in the field, I guess it'll be for a space. And same thing like Billy Hamilton. Like you can have Billy Hamilton be somebody who can drive pitchers nuts with the pickoff rules in the pitch clock and be just somebody who you know, can really frustrate, um, you know, especially like younger pitchers or pitch, you know, who maybe weren't in spring training and didn't really have a sense of the rhythms of the game. So, I mean, like you can have those guys if you have, you know, two position players or like uh, in Garcia and Gonzalez, like covering six, seven positions between them, like basically everything but catcher uh, between them. So like, you know, may as well give them a shot. So that's one. Another could be like if they're setting up a, you know, there, there are some maybe talks about a spring trade, given that Burgers, you know, fairly blocked from anything more significant from what he's already doing. You know, maybe if Andrew Vaughn gets hurt and he hasn't been the you know, most durable of players, like he hasn't missed time, but he also has had like a lot of, he's been banged up in a lot of different ways or limited in a lot of ways. Like, you know, maybe Burger plays first, but otherwise, like, you know, if Aloy's has to fight for outfield time, then there's really no place for Berger. <laughs> like it comes down to that basically. So like, uh, it could be a case where just, you know, he hits the ball hard. There's some things to like about him, some things to not like about him. And maybe they're just trying to see like how strong his strengths are. And maybe other teams are interested in seeing the same thing. And maybe they can have some kind of change of scenery deal where the White Sox get somebody who fits on their roster a little bit better, who's also blocked in their organization. So those are kind of the two things I think, unless like, you know, they're just really wary about Colos maybe not breaking camp. And then all of a sudden DH is a Gavin Sheets, Jake Berger type thing. And maybe they're evaluating uh, just what happens if Colos isn't quite ready for opening day. I just, on the trade idea, and there's been some that suggested that, I just don't see a lot of teams interested trading for Jake Berger unless if their starting mm -hmm. first baseman got hurt, which we'll talk about a pretty significant injury for one of the World Series contenders this year in a moment in this podcast. I, I just don't see that route. I, I, I guess I would be very surprised if another team picked up the phone and said, what would it take to get Jake Berger? Because clearly he's blocked on your team, but... We may have a need for right-handed power. And clearly he's got right-handed power. I mean, he's already flexed it mm -hmm. during spring training camp. And I'm not complaining that Jake Berger is getting all these at-bats. It just surprised me. It's been a lot of Jake Berger early. Am I missing something here? Should we be more <laughs> seriously talking about him joining the 26-man roster? And I, and I tweeted that. And that was a good conversation for many involved in that thread. You know, if you keep Sebi Zavala and you have either Lurie Garcia or Romy Gonzalez as your super utility, does a Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger fit on your bench for the Chicago White Sox? Some say yes, because the White Sox need as much power as possible. Some don't feel comfortable with that because they don't like the defensive abilities with Sheets or Berger. And I get that as well. So it's an interesting conversation when it comes to Jake Berger. And if this playing time continues, I'm just going to have this lingering thought in my head. Should I take Jake Berger more seriously in making this 26 man roster? But watch in the last week or two of spring training, his playing time evaporates. And that's when we see a lot more Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets as the season quickly approaches. Could be. Yeah. Maybe they just really like the mustache. <laughs> it's an okay mustache 
Dylan Cease has got a fantastic mustache. Jake Berger, I, I don't know, man. Like, uh, it's not very full. He needs to work on the thickness of the mustache. It takes time, though, and a lot of yeah. practice. Oh, well, I mean, like, or just, you know, like it's, you know, some mustaches are better than others. I think Danny Mendick is probably the leader for, like, <laughs> the, uh, just kind of like the the uh, professional, like, select grade mustache. Uh, I, I think he's the guy. C second, Burger, distant third. It's not bad. Like he's kind of like, you know, his name is Burger. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of a roly poly type build. So I think like, you know, the mustache works. It adds to the whimsy, like, you know, <laughs> which I think, uh, you know, he has going for him. I believe Jose Valentin had the best mustache in White Sox history. Is that, is that fair? It's in contention. Yeah. I mean, de- definitely of like, this century. Okay. I'll take that. And if yeah, watch, this is going to be a Ted Sporical quiz. All of the White Sox players that sported a mustache over the years. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if there are oh, any, man. I yeah. Love I mean, I imagine like the seventies had some and here's where, Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Chet lemon. Well, yeah. here's like, uh, Oscar Gamble had one. Oh yeah, Oscar Gamble. Yeah, so I'm trying to think like, uh, but in terms of like you know the the handlebar phase or anything like that, uh, not quite sure. But I'm sure like uh, some of our uh, listeners and readers from uh, those days can can fill in the gaps. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about some early surprises. Is there anyone that's caught your attention early in camp, Jim, that may be worth a follow? Uh, you know, like, I think it's kind of the usual suspect so far. I will say like Romy Gonzalez made a nice catch in left field, which, you know, it, you know, he can play the outfield. He just hasn't played much of it. So I think if they're going to build up his skill set, that would be there. There's more time in the outfield than the, in the infield, assuming Moncada and Anderson are healthy. So like that kind of opened my eyes a little bit, seeing like the, the range and left, especially since we're talking about, um, you know, Jake Marisnik having a rough start, Billy Hamilton missed one on the track, tough catch, but just like you hope that a Hamilton great defender doesn't really hit well, can flag down like a, a leaping catch on the warning track. Uh, kind of like the Adam angle, you know, the, the standards he set for himself, uh, Hamilton's kind of dealing with the same thing, but I think, you know, the Romy plays. Yeah is what jumped out to me. I think this week with guys missing time for the world baseball classic will be like the case for like Lenin Sosa, Jose Rodriguez. Let's see what they have up the middle, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the corner spots, like it's going to be an open competition with Colas and, you know, Marisnik and probably see a lot more of uh, you know, Romy out there. So I think this is going to be the week where kind of opposite of normal spring trainings where like the first spring training is open auditions and NRIs and, you know, the, minor leaguers who are not in big league camp, but get called up to fill in some time uh, because of the world baseball classic that kind of gets pushed back. I think this week where it's uh yeah, see who impresses, you know, see whose name we didn't count on. And yeah, right now, I think from what I've seen uh, that's been a case of just like, it's been pretty standard Oscar Colas though, looking okay so far, like his first at bat scared me. Uh, I think you're like, Oh no, this is uh yeah. You see he's swinging Oh one pitches in the dirt or yeah. And, and, and not even close. And he seems like he's calmed down a little bit. Yeah, he's five for 11. All five hits are singles. We've yet to see an extra base hit from Oscar Colas, but so far he's five for 11 at spring training as uh, he's trying to to prove his worth to the White Sox coaches. One player that I'm going to be tracking is Lane Ramsey. Now, how well do you know Lane Ramsey? Did you, have you seen Lane, Lane Ramsey in action, Jim? I have not, um, at least not recently. I, I think I may have seen him in 
Birmingham. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, now, actually, I think I'm trying to remember if that was he and Alec Hansen are both like tall and from Oklahoma. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 So six nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's taller than Alec Hansen. So I've always kind of lumped him. I think I, I saw Hansen in, in that. Uh, uh, in that 13 walk inning I saw. So I did not see Ramsey there, uh, to my knowledge, but no, I haven't seen him recently to where like he was on a major league radar at that point. Got it. Yeah. So Ramsey's control has been an issue ever since he was in Oklahoma. And last year with Charlotte, 21 strikeouts, 17 walks in 20 to third innings. So strikeout totals. All right. The walk total, not so much. But on Tuesday in his spring training action, he hit 97 with this fastball. He was sitting at 95 and a half miles per hour. So that's above average for velocity. The slider and cutter, they were getting good spins. He was averaging 2,500 RPMs as he struck out three and two scoreless innings for the White Sox in spring training. Something I'm going to be tracking for the rest of the spring because it is an intriguing reliever type, possibly at six foot nine. But I'm also paying attention to see what adjustments the White Sox make because they've got another six foot nine pitcher that they just drafted the first round in Noah Schultz. And I'm curious to see anything that they apply to Ramsey is what they could be possibly working on with Schultz to try to repeat that delivery over and over and over again. Ramsey bullpen arm. There's no mm-hmm. hope being a starter with Schultz. They're going to be hoping that they could develop him into a starting pitcher with that type of body build, which is very difficult. You had Keith Law on our show a couple of weeks ago. The The deck is stacked against the White Sox as far as odds of Noah Schultz turning into a star pitcher just because of the, the build. Uh, a lot of tall pitchers don't make it uh, to the majors. Yes, we know about Chris Sale. Yes, we know about Randy Johnson, but there's a lot of guys that were at that type of height that just did not have staying power. So those for those reasons, I'm going to keep an eye on Lane Ramsey to see if he continues to improve control-wise because we know Charlotte needs pitchers. And if he leaves camp here, he's 26 years old, but with the amount of injuries the White Sox projected to have for this upcoming year, especially in the bullpen, who knows? Maybe he's someone that we do see in Chicago this upcoming year if he can get his control in order. Uh, but that's the first item of business. He needs to stop walking, guys. So those are some people that we're going to be following. It'd be great to hear on who you guys are following during spring training camp. You could put those names in the comment section in the podcast post on SoxMachine.com. But Jim and I will take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, I'm going to pitch the idea of a fan advisory board after reading such an idea from overseas of the premiership and the Los Angeles Dodgers suffer a pretty devastating injury. Next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, we'll start with the Los Angeles Dodgers breaking news uh, and not the best of news as they reported earlier this week that Gavin Lux tore his ACL in his right knee. And if you didn't get a chance to watch the video, if you get squirmish at all, I don't recommend it as he was running to third base gym. It seemed like he hyperextended his right knee bending in a way that knees do not bend to the side. And, you know, this is a pretty devastating injury for Gavin Lux because here he is at his mid twenties and he had quite a bit of run with the Dodgers last year. He had well over 400 plate appearances with the Dodgers. He had 471 to be exact. And he hit 276 with a 346 on base percentage and he slugged 399, but this was going to be the year. This was going to be the year for Gavin Lux to show his complete worth to the Dodgers to become an everyday starting player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Lux has been very popular uh, with White Sox fans, especially with the offseason plan project, because the White Sox have had this opportunity for a player like Gavin Lux to join the White Sox. Come over, be the second baseman. You bat left-handed. This works out well for everyone. And unfortunately, in 2023, it seems like Lux is going to miss the entire season, Jim. Yeah, it's uh, kind of like a sliding door scenario to where like, what if the White Sox did acquire Lux? Like, you know, would he be <laughs> just uh, having the kind of career that everybody thought rather than kind of this up and down with the Dodgers being a depth piece, but not really, uh, you know, having the stardom people thought he might had. And now he's, this is, you know, seriously going to interfere. And especially with the Dodgers having like a, a quiet off season and seeming like they're going to roll with what they had, maybe regrouping, you know, maybe uh, getting their luxury tax ducks in a row and then making a bigger play uh, next year. But I think Lux was crucial to them having, you know, success around this retrenching financially and with him not there, like, I mean, the Dodgers always pull guys out of thin air and always, you know, just attack you with guys who failed in other organizations. And all of a sudden they're, throwing strikes or throwing harder or hitting for power and pulling the ball in the air. And so you can't count them out, but it certainly looks like the Padres have really timed their surge. Well, with the way the Dodgers have taken a step back and uh, sorry to go on a uh, quick revisiting of our discussion of Lane Ramsey. I was trying to think like Mm -hmm. Alec Hansen, there was another pitcher who was not Lane Ramsey. I looked it up. It was Jake Elliott who was six foot seven from Oklahoma so Nick Hostetler definitely had a type <laughs> just as much as he loved like guys named Zach and guys from Louisville. He liked really tall pitchers from Oklahoma. Yeah, actually, one of the cross checkers for the White Sox ended up 
being a, an assistant coach at Oklahoma. Mm. I have to check to see if there's still an assistant coach at Oklahoma. But while Hostetler was the scouting director, one of his cross checkers became an assistant coach at Oklahoma. So they had some insight of what was going on. But you are right. He, he did have <laughs> or, a Or there's like a skimming deal. Uh <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, it wouldn't be the first time with the White Sox. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, sorry to go back to Lux. The, the guy I kind of wondered about, and, you know, you can't really plant that way, is like Elvis Andrews, like, I wonder what his market would look like if he waited a week. Because, you know, that job could have been there for him. Maybe, like, the Dodgers would not have been interested. And, you know, they look at his swing data or, you know, what they know, mm -hmm. what they saw, what their scouts might have seen and said, no, we're still not interested, but... That was the kind of thing I thought Andrews might have been waiting for, the way like Johnny Cueto was able to find a job after Lance Lynn's injury. Like he seemed well positioned to where like any shortstop goes down. He's a godsend, uh, just as we saw with Tim Anderson's injury, just, you know, how how well Andrews fit in. Like and I thought he was waiting for that opportunity. So I think the White Sox are doubly lucky that they got Andrews for second base at the rate they got him for. Well, best of luck to Gavin Lux in his rehab. Again, I think he's a very talented player, and we'll see what he could do in 2024. But this kind of stinks for Gavin Lux, the player, because this was going to be a good opportunity for him to get 500, maybe 600 plate appearances this year and really make his mark in the major leagues. But that's going to have to wait another year. It's kind of like with Royce Lewis and the Minnesota Twins, you know, being one of the top prospects. He's had two torn ACLs, and we may finally get to see Lewis this year for the Minnesota Twins. So some uh, devastating knee injuries for potentially young stars in Major League Baseball that we're just going to have to wait an extra year to see if they can bounce back from these injuries. And hopefully for Gavin Lux, he does meet some of those expectations that White Sox fans have, or who knows, maybe the White Sox finally do trade for Gavin Lux as his price becomes a lot more affordable in the offseason. I can already sense it in the offseason plans, Jim. I'm thinking more like when he's 37. <laughs> I did see the tweets about the White Sox in 2033 signed Manny Machado to a one-year deal. Mm -hmm. And they finally get their man. The The saddest thing about that tweet is that 97-year-old Jerry Reinsdorf is ecstatic to sign Manny Machado to a one-year contract. General manager Rick yep. <laughs> It's like, he's still the GM mm -hmm. 10 years from now. Oh, man. Just like oh, waiting man. out Andrew right. Benintendi. He's waiting out Manny Machado to come down. He's just having <laughs> Lux, you know. 37 years old with uh, with you know gray wings on the sides, uh, some salt and pepper in his beard. Like, that's what we're looking at. They finally get their guys. Yep. Eventually. Eventually. All right. So we're going to end the show with this particular item. And it caught my attention while reading articles from The Athletic. And it comes from reporter Omar Garrick. And Omar covers the premiership for The Athletic, and he wrote a story coming from the Chelsea Football Club. So I don't know how familiar are you with premiership soccer or premiership football, Jim? <laughs> Ted Lasso, that's about it. All right, excellent. So fictional mm -hmm. <laughs> clubs, okay. So what Chelsea has done, and it's been one of the more popular clubs worldwide, they've had tons of success uh, in the past couple of decades, they have created a new fan advisory board, short fab, 
which they say will, quote, engage in discussion, exchange information, and share insights on matters that affect supporters. And in the article of The Athletic, the board will be made up of six supporters, with three of these places being reserved for, quote, supporter advisories to the board, end quote. The remaining places will be determined via an application process, which the West London Club have opened until March 24th. So for our British fans, uh, if you want to be part of the Chelsea Fan Advisory Board, you have a couple weeks to submit your application. And what Chelsea said in their statement is that they're hoping to be building on successful consultation and engagement mechanisms the club already has in place that the fan advisory board will engage in discussions, exchange information and share insights of potential decisions that impact Chelsea supporters. The focus is on the club's strategic vision and objectives, as well as medium and long-term decision-making. I find this to be fascinating, Jim, because you don't see this in professional sports in America. And obviously with the premiership soccer clubs, I should, the premiership football clubs over in England, it's just as, or not more tied into the community than what we see like in Chicago with baseball. Like we know that the Cubs tied to the North side, the white Sox are tied to the South side and England. It feels like it's on a different level when, when it comes to the football clubs and now they're created this fan advisory board. And I think, Jim, the Chicago White Sox should copy this idea. I think the Chicago White Sox should have a fan advisory board. I wonder who they would pick. Not us. Not us. <laughs> I'm guessing it would be George Jacobs. Kane guy. Okay. Is there a third fan... Our friend, my sock summer from the 108, yep. because he loves the marketing department and the marketing department loves him. That's how he gets his bobbleheads. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to think like, are they too contentious though? He, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> Cherise and beef yeah. love. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but not my sock okay. summer. No. So so three white dudes. That'll be part of the fan advice report for the yeah. white socks. Well, I guess you get six members. Yeah. Well no, I was just trying to think in terms of like who who are fans that they've uh that you know they promote and just like there would be, you know, <laughs> the two I can think of offhands that the White Sox have like, you know, uh that we know through White Sox broadcasts and like the team dent Jack Ruby, the team dentist. <laughs> I was just trying yep. to think of like the, yeah. The, Who's the insurance guy? Uh, oh, Jeff the, Vuk. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Vuk. Jeff Vuk will be part yeah. of the fan advisory board of the White Sox at their pick. Uh, the woman that had that uh, consecutive game streak, she was a hmm. season ticket holder. I don't know if that streak is continuing. I haven't heard about it recently. I hope so for her sake, but I think that was pre pandemic, right? Yeah. So I don't know if the pandemic broke it or not, but so we've talked about the unresolved anger and we've talked about how things are not going great between the fans and the organization. I like this idea. I think this would be a step forward to making things better because I think one of the biggest complaints about the white Sox is they hear you. They don't listen to you. Mm -hmm. The difference between hearing is yes, we hear you yelling and complaining, but we're not going to do anything about it. With this format, 
it seems like with Chelsea, they're going to be listening to this board because they're hoping to be getting the type of feedback that, again, decisions that impact the supporters. So when it comes to the stadium or kits or the types of players or the types of people that Chelsea brings on to their executive board, to get that feedback could hope mitigate any potential PR disasters. And there's some PR things that are going on across the pond, especially with some clubs trying to sell and who they might be selling to here for the white Sox, If they had this fan advisory board, they could get immediate fan reaction, fan feedback, like the pain it is to park at the stadium. The pain it is to get through the stadium. What kind of food we would like to see, you know, these types of things like, uh, is it like a test group that you usually have for like movies and commercials that you bring random people in and you show them your commercials and movies and they provide feedback and then you go back and reshoot stuff because it didn't test well. And instead of like that mm-hmm. test group, I feel like just having a fan advisory board that you meet with them like three, four times during the season, I think it'd go a long way in getting really good feedback and building, regaining some trust from the fan base. Do they not do that as a season ticket holder? Like I know they've had some events, but like when it comes to like soliciting feedback from, uh, you know, so I'm going to, I'm taking your, uh, kind of chuckle as a no. So the, the way <laughs> but, they get their feedback is green ring. Hey, you want to renew your season tickets? No. Oh, why not? And here's the feedback. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like they don't have like check-ins or like, you know, exclusive, uh, surveys or anything like that to get an idea of like who their most loyal customers, yeah, or what they're thinking and what their experiences are and yeah, we, we, what would make it better. We get the fan surveys, but I don't know if they actually read them. And it's just, it's so impersonal to just mass email yeah. a bunch of surveys. Did you ever buy a ticket for a White Sox game? Yes. We got well, your that, email that's what I thinking, like maybe Here's a survey. Yeah, I thought like maybe you had like a like, you know, exclusive surveys or like you kind of like a they they sample a cross section of their season ticket holders just to, you know, not get uh, 5000 responses, but maybe see like if there are any commonalities among like 100 responses. Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I didn't know if they had any kind of you know, smaller surveys for season ticket holders that might have like a more personal response. I don't know if it was personal. But I do recall in September getting a fan survey and cross-referencing the other season ticket holders that I know. We all got that survey, but it wasn't personal in the sense of, hey, Josh, what do you think about this? It was just like any any of the other fan surveys that the White Sox email out. Yeah, it's, that seems like a missed opportunity. Like <laughs> uh, just having, you know, if you're spending... Um, the money and more than the money, the time, you know, for 81 game uh, slate or even like, you know, half season or splitting a full season among a group, like you're putting a lot of thought into it. You would think that, you know, they would want to mine those thoughts for just even more data. And they seem mm-hmm. like they have a big business analytics department in their front office. I think it might be bigger than their baseball operations department, but it seems like they, you know, have taken efforts with like the dynamic pricing and, and, you know, cutting up their seating chart into a rainbow of colors and tiers. Like they have, you can see the wheels turning in that regard that they, you know, really are paying attention to what they can charge. But you would think that they would also take that into be like, 
if they got certain data, they could maybe charge more for that. You know, if they like, here's what an experience, like, you know, add that to a season ticket holder perk and then, uh, you know, try to sell other people on ticket packages for that perk. But odd. Yeah. Recently for full season ticket holders, they had an open house to kind of look through the suites and the party areas and we have a pretty significant discount if I wanted to get a suite in April or in May because they don't have a lot of the suite spaces sold. <laughs> so for to start the season, at least, and maybe that sale will continue on to the summer if those suites are unsold still uh, after the season start. But I kind of like what Chelsea is doing here. A again, if you're trying to build rapport and making mm -hmm. it more personal and going through an application process. So there's t more vetting would be going into this fan advisory board than some free agents <laughs> at the White Sox sign. Uh, maybe even have some type of vote from the fans or, you know, not trying to make everything political, but, you know, people, fans could campaign to be part of the fan advisory board. And it, it would just be an opportunity for these select fans to gain also some clout to provide and receive feedback online via social media or blogs or et cetera. And to get that feedback and, and speak it with face to face with white Sox executive members. Cause if you're not going to have fan conventions and you're not going to have that many meetups, I think this would be a good opportunity to start rebuilding that trust. So I saw this on the athletic Chelsea's yeah. doing it. I really like the idea. I think the White Sox should do it. I, I think even more teams in professional sports in America should do it because I, I think it could be a great opportunity to build some rapport with your fan base. Yeah, I like the, you know, the idea of having a direct line and like a smaller you know, group of knowledgeable fans and, and knowledgeable just in terms of just like, you know, both knowing about baseball, knowing about the White Sox, but also just kind of knowing how uh, other fans feel, knowing how customers should be treated, whether watching on TV or going to the park. Like, you know, just people who can are good at voicing thoughts for how things should be for, you know, certain, you know, team customer relationship. I'm also thinking that, like, I would not want to be on that fan advisory board because I can just imagine, like, you know, White Sox Twitter can already be kind of a mess. So just imagine like if something happens, like, Oh, you're on the take. Oh, you're, you know, the, the white Sox have you in their pocket. What are the white Sox giving you that? This is what that came out of this. Like, <laughs> like I could just see that being like more trouble than it's worth. Like, I think I'd want to be paid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this is an unpaid gig for, yeah. for Chelsea and the fan board. And it would definitely be unpaid. Uh, for the White Sox fan advisory board idea. But I, again, I, I I like the premise here. I, I like what Chelsea's doing. And, and I get your point of view, Jim. If people found out on Twitter you were part of the fan advisory board and things weren't going well or the White Sox were not spending any money in the offseason, you're going to have people raining down on you, being like, you need to get in front of them. You need to make sure they hear you and they change the way that they work. Uh yeah, that, that probably wouldn't happen. But I, I think this is yeah. a great way to get direct feedback on some uh, things that really impact as far as the fan base, because right now it doesn't sound seem like the White Sox are doing a very good job listening. They have ways of hearing us 
but they're not really implementing any changes to make the experience better at the ballpark. And that's another pretty significant factor when it comes to being a White Sox fan in recent years, not just to play on the field, but also try to get to the stadium to watch the players play the game. So again, I saw this online. I thought it was a pretty Mm -hmm. interesting idea. I like the White Sox to do it. They won't do it, but I I think it's a good idea. And uh, I look forward to see how it works over in West London with the uh, Chelsea football club. It's nice to know it's possible. Yeah. Yes. And uh, if you guys know of other fan advisory boards, definitely let us know. This is to me, this seems new. But maybe it is not new, and you guys know of other examples as well. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. In the next episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, it'll be coming out on Monday. We're going to be doing more position previews like we did with our in-depth analysis of the White Sox upcoming projected outfield. So we'll be moving over to the infield for the White Sox in our next episode. So you have that to look forward to. And we'll try to recap more of the action uh, that'll be happening in spring training and also get pumped for the world baseball classic because that is coming up. One promotion that I would like to draw your attention to is again, we're having the watch parties on playback. We had a blast doing the first spring training game with our friends from the 108 and we will be doing some world baseball classic games as well. You'll want to circle Sunday night, March 12th on the calendar. This is a late game. It's going to start at 9 PM central time, but it'll be Mexico against the United States. And we'll be doing that watch party with our friends from the 108. Uh, So that's definitely something to look forward to. Again, that's Sunday night on March 12th for the World Baseball Classic game between the United States and Mexico. But if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And if you enjoy our work and one more, you can help support us over at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag in the Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com